Hey everyone, uh, welcome to the Bridget and Josh show. I'm Bridget. I'm Josh. And this is the show where we talk about what we think young Catholics should care about. This week, we think you should care about... Political parties. Yes, and their history and where we fit and what Catholics have been doing in them for the past 100 or so years. Yeah, which is exciting. And what, they, yeah. um, what they're all about, what they value, uh, mm-hmm. why they came into existence, what they're trying to mm-hmm. achieve, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I'm keen. Yeah, it's going to be, be cool. Bit of history. I love history. Yes, we're both big history nerds, so I think it's it was really fun researching all the like all the stuff. I was like on the museum website, on all these like historical articles on JSTOR. I love JSTOR. I should get a JSTOR t-shirt. You should have this JSTOR. My whole the life best. is JSTOR. Love a database. Anyway, it was really fun doing a bit of research for this one. So I'm keen for where it goes. Yeah. So I guess we should start at the start. Mm-hmm. And the very first political party that we had in Australia was actually the Labor Party, which is interesting. Very the first united party that all came together to form a political party um, in the early, early kind of settler politics. Not settler politics, I suppose, like colonial politics. Because yeah. it was like a little bit further in once Australia had a bit of autonomy and they had their own kind of... Um, the colonies had their own like elections and that yeah, kind of yeah. stuff. Um, so the LP formed because in the 1890s, approximately, mm-hmm. there was a giant uh, like economic downturn, devastatingly. And um, it was right as kind of Melbourne and all these big cities were starting to peak. People had been moving from country areas into the city, had been getting these um labor-intensive jobs, and so the unions were starting to gather people together to demand better working conditions. And once they had enough people, they were like, actually, our, our miners' strikes, our shearers' strikes, a couple of these other big important strikes that were happening weren't making the impact that they wanted them to. And they were like, right, we can't just be doing this from the outside. We need to be going from the inside as well. And so they decided to form a political party and run in elections so that way they could be making changes from the inside out. So like as you've said, um, on the Labor side of things, stuff started really, really early. 1890s was you started seeing these Labor parties emerge mm-hmm. around the country and they were kind of there in 1901 in that first federal election. Uh, but mm-hmm. on the... I guess you could say the conservative side of politics or the, the non-Labour side of politics. Uh, yep. We don't see the Liberal Party emerging that early. What we do see mm-hmm. is, uh, I guess, some precursors uh, to the Liberal Party. So yep. in 1901, that first election, you had the Free Trade Party and you had the Protectionist Party. Um, a little bit after that, you had what was called the Commonwealth Liberal Party. Uh, mm-hmm. That eventually became the Nationalist Party. Um and then eventually into, you know, a bit later on into the 1920s and 1930s, what's called the United Australia Party starts emerging. That wasn't Clive, pa- mm-hmm. Clive Palmer's party. Clive Palmer had nothing to do with it. 
Um, but you know, it was it was this this party that gathered a lot of these sort of people around. I'll talk a bit about mm-hmm. that a little bit later. But um, so, so you don't quite see um, the Liberal Party until yep. probably a fair bit late into um, late into the show when you can when you look at say the mm-hmm. Labor Party and even say the, the National Party, which started in 1920 as the Country Party. Um, yeah. But what you do see is, yeah, is these precursor parties to the Liberal Party that are kind of gathered around, mm-hmm. um, I guess you could really say around market economics and capitalism, um, yeah. kind of set against socialism and against sort of maybe the Labor Party movement to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, obviously, the pr- protectionists are about, you know, keeping up tariffs to protect local in- industry and local manufacturing mm-hmm. and the free trade party is kind of the opposite of that so um in the first election they were talking the two major parties labor was still a bit of a mm-hmm. small force and then eventually that kind of started shifting where labor sort of became the equal kind of um yeah. rival to the non-labor parties that were kind of gathering mm-hmm. steam at that time great that's yeah. really interesting that there wasn't um like there had been kind of a, a united Labor Party, but it took a little while to get running. I suppose that like would have been representative of that early politics and the issues that Australians were facing at the turn of the century. Yeah, and like I think, and there's, there's a certain sense where you know some of those early parliaments, those first twenty years, were pretty, I guess, unstable. I mean, they've, they've become the mm-hmm. new normal after you know two thousand and ten that we're kind of you know, <laughs> prime minister roulette over here. But um, but yeah, we love especially. A new normal. <laughs> Oh, COVID normal. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm just enjoying the fact I'm out of lockdown. Yay. Um, anyway, back to <laughs> back to the show. Um, you know, especially in those early years, in and before and kind of getting towards World War One, kind mm-hmm. of had an election every year and there was a new prime minister every year. And a lot of it had to do with that Australia was still trying to figure out what political system they can't, what they wanted mm. the political party system yeah. to kind of look like. What were their values? Yeah. Who did they want to coalesce around? Um, which is, yeah, which is really interesting. We were a fresh democracy trying to find our feet. Yeah. And that kind of leads yeah. really well into what you are, you know, some of the the first key moments in and around World War One that kind of helped shape some of the parties and how they moved forward. Yeah, definitely. One of the first big issues that we saw, um, other than like women getting the vote and women's suffrage, was the First World War and how we responded to that and what that meant for Australia as a nation and our political systems. And one of the key issues that came up was conscription. And this was really, really important. I think it's easy to underestimate how important it was at the time. Yeah. Um, but just because we haven't really had anything like it since, like, yeah. Um, I mean, we have had conscription since then, but it's in the way that it impacted um, the Labor Party and the way that it impacted Catholics in particular, yeah. um, we haven't really seen it in the same way. At this time in and for the kind of the first half of the 20th century, the Labor Party was full of Catholics. Like that was the Catholic Party. Hmm. And um, now we have a little bit more fluidity, I suppose. Like it's it's not as black and white. But at yeah, the time, yeah. it's um, important to understand that that's really like 80% or something of Catholics voted for the Labor Party. That was their stomping ground. That's where they were. And that's because if you look at the people who the Labor Party was seeking to represent and seeking to um, – hold their values closely it was people who were the working class um, people who were employed not the employers um, and 
at the time that was Irish migrants. Later, it became Italian migrants, Polish migrants. And that was all people who had a Catholic background. So um, it was, yeah, Catholics were kind of the heart of the Labour Party and Irish Catholics in particular at the turn of the century were. So conscription was a massive issue for people, especially of an Irish Catholic background, because they had really different loyalties to the empire and to the British than their English, British, um, Protestant counterparts, who were the people who were running in um, those alternative parties that you were talking about in the non-Labour parties. Um, Sectarianism at the time was really big and that continued to plague the 20th century and that's something that doesn't shape our politics at all today. Um, But that was key issues were stuff like sectarianism. So if we look at the role of conscription in that and the role of the Labour Party, the Labour Party was anti-conscription because um, they thought it was bad. If you don't have enough people to fight a war, then you probably shouldn't fight it. And because the people in the Labour Party, the Irish Catholics there, didn't want to be giving their children, their sons especially, to a force that was actively against who they were. At the time, in 1915, in the middle of the First World War, um, there was an Irish rebellion called the Easter Rising and uh, there had been a lot of tension prior to that because risings don't just happen out of the blue. Um, There was in response to prior events and leading up to that there had been serious repression of um, Irish people in Ireland by the British because they were their reigning overlords and so people didn't want to be supporting that and they didn't want to be supporting British troops especially if they felt that like British troops could have been better used outside of Ireland and in the first world war they didn't want to be sending our Australian fillers to fight a war that wasn't our own. But so we didn't actually end up, there was two referendums about it. Hmm. Um, One in 1915, one in 1916, um, because obviously the war progressed and things got harder and both of them were voted down by the Australian people. Um, And that was in part because of a massive labor campaign being the, the artwork is really interesting and the um, stuff that they use, the propaganda, I suppose that they used is really interesting. It's like vote no, save our sons, very, um, emotional stuff and so and that, at so, that time yeah. um it wasn't just like that's probably where you kind of saw the first big foray of well not the foray but that's when you kind of saw the church really speaking up on an issue for the first time since yeah. federation right yeah um one really key person was uh, daniel mannix who is the archbishop of melbourne at the time he was an Irish Catholic who was living in Melbourne. He had grown up in Ireland and had been in the seminary there and then had been sent to Melbourne because Australia at the time was still a place that needed to have people sent here to be our bishops and stuff. Like we weren't even old enough to have our own people doing stuff. We were still getting everyone else too. And he had, um, as an Irish person, he was also really staunchly anti conscription for the same reasons he was very pro-island and so he spoke up um and people listened catholic people really took his lead for his whole life he lived until he was 99 and he was a bishop until he was 99 so he had we should do an episode on him he's really interesting and he was a massive voice um at the time especially for irish catholics yeah cool and i think that's like 
I think the, the mention of um, conscription and that event, I think the fascinating thing about that is that that kind of, it wasn't the key thing, but coming out of the war, coming into uh, the 20s and the 30s, and just seeing the strength, um, I guess, that Labor was starting to become electorally, that they were winning elections, that they had a huge following, that they really captured the working class, so they really captured the Catholic vote. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, you know, the church representing a whole lot of the population um, yeah. held quite a big sway in and how the public mm. sort of framed their sort of ideas and um, framed their politics, right? And so what you started to have was on the non-Labor side of, of politics, you kind of mm-hmm. had this fear that, okay, well, Labor's becoming quite powerful. So around this time, you know, by the end of the war into the 20s, the Free Trade Party, the Protectionist Party had fallen away. You'd started having uh, the, Com- the Commonwealth Liberal Party emerge, mm-hmm. um, which was a collection of people from those two earlier parties as well as people who had, yeah. um, I was going to say deserted, but had, uh, had left Labor and had, had come over mm-hmm. to the conservative side of politics. Um, and again, that, that emerges then after that. Um, so Billy Hughes is one of them, the prime minister, then Joseph mm-hmm. Lyons, another prime minister, um, left yep. that and helped to, help to form the United Australia party. Um, mm-hmm. and so what you sort of had was all these, you know, these labor dissidents and the non-labor yep. forces really trying to rally together to try and fight this big labor, um, uh, electoral machine really and so uh, and a key part of that was basically what was happening on the other side of the world in Russia um, yep. you know with the October yes. revolution um, mm-hmm. the victory of the Bolsheviks and, and, the, and the, um, the creation of the USSR and, and the first mm. sort of you know apparent, apparently socialist or you know communist sort of regime yep. um, and so the fear of, of socialism sweeping the world became really apparent and yeah. so Eventually what happens uh, in, in the 30s and into the 40s, you have these forces trying to gather these non-labor for, uh, political parties trying to form into one electoral um, mm-hmm. powerhouse. And so the first version of that that really took shape was United Australia Party. Um, mm-hmm. But that was sort of beset by some organizational uh, struggles they weren't really they didn't really have any sort of organizational reality um they yep. didn't have divisions or, or you know party structures in a lot of the states mm-hmm. and then they, yep. they lose the election in um i think it's well menzies loses in 41 robert menzies loses in mm-hmm. 41 after that they lose the next election and that's kind of it the mm-hmm. party falls apart yep. and so in this space robert menzies realizes hang on we need to do something at least in his mind, mm. thinks we need to do something because otherwise, labor is going to be on the ascendancy, and we're going to everything's going to go wrong from a um, from a free trade, free market point of view. Yeah. And so, in the early forties, he goes and gives what he calls the forgotten people speeches, where he talks about how mm-hmm. the middle class of Australia have been forgotten by political yep. parties. Labor represents the working class, uh, mm-hmm. but a lot of the non-labor parties they just represent, represent big, big big business. And so yep. Mantis says, we actually need a party that's going to represent the forgotten people. And so then in the 19, in 1944, they called two, um, I guess, conventions, one in, in Albury mm-hmm. and one in Canberra. And they say, okay, we need to have a, have a meeting. We need to establish what are we going to do as non-Labor yep. Party uh, political organizations, movers and shakers, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. 
to yeah. kind of to coalesce and to and to and to unite together to fight Labor electorally, mm-hmm. um, and that's when the, the Liberal Party was kind of born, and that was sort of the whole idea that in out of the shadow of the of the UAP United Australia mm-hmm. Party and its disintegration, um, all the the non Labor parties apart from the Country Party, uh, they all mm-hmm. came together, and they said, okay, we want to form a new political party that is based in liberal values uh, that represents mm-hmm. the middle class. Uh, that is yep. that it's progressive. It's it's about the individual, not about the collective. Um, mm-hmm. And then the Liberal Party was born, and so they got they got thumped in the first election in forty five. Not terribly, yep. but it was. If you look historically, it was the worst election the Liberals ever had, which kind of makes sense. It was the first go, right? It was first, um, yeah. <laughs> then in Take 19, it easy. Yeah. and then in nineteen forty nine, Robert Menzies becomes prime minister the liberals win the election mm-hmm. uh and then he becomes prime minister for the next 23 years and so that's a really long time yeah and what a turnaround from it looking like labor was just going to dominate yeah. politics for, for an eternity um yeah. bob menzies wins the election um yeah and governs for a long time there's reasons as to why he governed for a long time which we'll get into next but um i think the thing yeah. is that that through robert menzies gathering around founding the the, the liberal party mm-hmm. um and then having such a long time as prime minister, that really shaped what post World War Two politics and what mm-hmm. the, what post World War Two Australia really looked like. Yeah, I guess because there would have been a lot of chaos, I suppose, of the Second World War and the Great Depression, which had been immediately prior to all of this. And then suddenly, someone new has come in, and they've decided that like they are representing the forgotten people, and then they rule for such a long time. Rule that makes it sound like he's a king or something, but King Robert, <laughs> but. <laughs> Um, but then someone who has that consistency, I suppose, after such a chaotic period of time, there would have been, um, I guess, a real want for that from the Australian people. They would have wanted the stability that they would have represented as a united front. Mm. I guess the next most important thing that happens in Australian politics, especially relating to Catholics, was the 1955 Labour split. And this interestingly, was a response to that um, rising fear of communism and socialism that you were talking about, Josh. Um, because obviously, it's if we're looking at what the world looked like in the 50s, that was a really major issue. And it was definitely a major issue for Catholics. Like I was saying before, if we're looking at the people who were Catholics in Australia, that also was starting to be people who had been escaping um, the USSR yeah. and um, Soviet control of their countries and their areas. Um, so if we look at the reasons for the labor split in the 1950s, this is really where um, things become significantly less clear for where Catholics are putting their vote. If we're kind of tracing where Catholics had been voting throughout history, we start with the Labour Party and it goes all the way through until it gets to here. This is like the very clear split because um, it turns out the Catholics and communists didn't get along very well in 1955 and they probably haven't prior to that or ever since. Um, Even though we should be nice to everyone, it doesn't always work out like that, doesn't doesn't it? doesn't always happen. Um, Yes. And what's really interesting is when I was doing this research, for this episode um, was the wording that different people used. Mm. And the key word that everyone used was infiltrating. And it was about like who was infiltrating 
the Labour Party, which I love. Like infiltrating just makes me think of like a little mouse or something like coming in and stealing your cheese. Um, anyway, who was infiltrating who was really is is yeah, really important yeah. to look at. So from one perspective, there was all of these Catholics who were gaining power and yeah. were um, kind of having their different factions and stuff in the Labour Party. And so the Catholics were infiltrating the Labour Party and were becoming too powerful and had too much significance. And that was um, mostly done at the hands of a guy called Bob Santa Maria, who was really important. I don't know very much about him. I will probably Google him. You guys should Google him. Mm. Um, but he was really key in this um period of time in Australian politics. And he actually was pals with Mannix. So we had this like generational yeah, yeah, yeah. influence of um, key church leaders um, having influence over what Catholics are doing in their political lives as well as in their church lives. But if you ask the Catholics of the Labour Party at the time, they were like, the communists are infiltrating yeah. and that's not good that they were right. <laughs> That's not a good thing. <laughs> Anyone infiltrating each other is not a good thing. But um, particularly for Catholics at the time, yeah. the fear of communism was really, really palpable and really tangible. And again, that's something that like isn't really the same in 2020. The fear that people had of socialism and of communism um, and what that could do to a country or to a place um yeah it was it was a genuine fear that they had and so what ends up happening is that um catholics are kind of like we can't do this anymore we don't get along with the communists this is not going to work and the communists are also like we don't get along with these catholic guys anymore this is we can't just be in the same room um and so what ends up happening is this split and the labor party states the labor party and then a lot of catholics um and other people who were kind of impacted split off and they formed the Democratic Labour Party. No. Yes? Yeah. Democratic yeah, Labour right. Party? Yeah. Yeah. The DLP. Mm. I just doubted myself for a second. I was like, ah, oh, <laughs> what have Don't I done? Don't doubt yourself, um, No, I will try not to. Be strong. Um, yes. The DLP. I knew what the acronym was, but I couldn't remember what the <laughs> Democratic bit was. Um, so the Democratic Labour Party then becomes the Catholic Party, I yeah. suppose, um, which the Labour Party had previously been. But that if we look at 2020, the mm. Democratic Labour Party has significantly faded from our public consciousness yeah. and they, they don't really do anything. Yeah. Um, and I think, but this, yeah. yeah, this was really the moment where Catholics were left questioning who do we stand with now after it had been clear for the first 55 yeah. years of Australia's democracy, suddenly they're like, ah, where are we supposed to go now? Yeah, and I think the other, the kind of the ironic thing there as well is that, you know, so you've got this shift from the, a, the you know, Catholics kind of going from the ALP to the DLP, but mm -hmm. one, this is one of the key reasons why the Liberal Party was in power for so long is that the DLP preferenced the Liberal Party over the Labor Party. Oh, that's such a yeah, right? odd move. Yeah, and it was yeah. so, ch so cheeky, but... You know, the Liberal Party was kind of seen as the WASP party, you know, the white Anglo-Saxon yeah. Protestant party, you know, WASP is, a, is an acronym that really 
well, it shows that people are white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, but it was kind of really... It sums a, them up. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, and it was also a thing that kind of said, okay, well, it's actually really kind of represented the upper class, the elite, you mm. know, people that you, you nowadays you'd say will live in Turak or live in the northern on the north shore of Sydney <laughs> or, um, yeah. you know, whatever it is, right? And so the great yeah. irony is that, you know, in this time of, you know, sectarianism was still a thing, um, yeah, definitely. You know, that you had Catholics ironically directing preferences towards the Protestant party. Um, yeah. Against the traditionally Labour Party, uh, the traditionally mm. Catholic Labour Party. And that's and that was something that, that Menzies sort of knew and politically used to his advantage. I mean, he had significant concerns about the communists mm-hmm. uh, and the communist party. He tried, tw- I think he tried twice at referendums to ban the communist party. Uh, yep. Both of them failed. Um but he definitely was aware of this threat. And so there's probably a sense mm-hmm. of, of a real politic reality that it's actually a present danger. What well, they just, that, that they yeah. thought was a present danger, but it's also politics and political movering is definitely in there as well, I think. So, um, but yeah, yeah and so it's, sure. it's what you then had is a, is the reality where now the Liberal Party was able to govern for such a long time. Like Labour Party came close mm-hmm. a couple of times, um, yeah. but really lost because they didn't have those preferences from the DLP. Yeah. And because of the instability too, like even yeah. if you look at the most recent elections in like the early 2000s or the late 2000s, mm. I guess leading up to right now, um, <laughs> instability in politics has been a real reason why people have picked one party over another. Yeah. So like people have been like, okay, well, even if we just like don't have a change of government and I don't have a change of party, then that'll be more stable than everything else that we're seeing. So having the Labour Party split in the middle of um, the Menzies rule, reign, mm. power, time. Dominion. Um, <laughs> over his leadership, I suppose, is the best word for it. Dynasty. Um, <laughs> is really important because it meant that then people were like, well, these guys are falling apart. We don't need them to be in government. We mm. need stability for our government at um, and especially if they've been doing well and things have been fine, we want to continue that. People definitely mm-hmm. crave stability. But like you were saying, uh, Menzies was very aware of that and was aware mm-hmm. of the fact that the Catholic vote was now up for grabs. Mm-hmm. And so one thing that was really important that he did was Catholic school funding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, at that point in time, the Labour Party had been um, staunchly against funding Catholic schools and non-public schools, really, independent schools. Um, And there were also a lot of liberal people who were against funding Catholic schools and against funding private schools because um, the non-public schools at the time were basically all Catholic schools. And like you were saying, the WASPs were like, well, if you can't afford to send your kid to a Catholic school, just send them to a public school and we'll just keep sending our kids to our kind of self-funded independent schools, which they are totally able to do. Um, and also there would have been that like anti-Catholic thing of being like, just don't have that many kids that you need to send to a school. They'll oh be gosh. fine. Um, <laughs> so what happens is that Catholic schools are desperate for funding. Yeah. And they, it becomes really, it's a crisis point really. Um, and then you have what's called the Goulburn school strike, um, which was really important. I actually have a commemorative mug from this one of the schools that... <laughs> <laughs> 
one of those schools that was involved in the Goffin school strike. It's got like a 50 years on. And I was like, this is amazing. I love this. Um, but that was really important because Catholic schools needed funding because they needed to support the amount of kids that they had mm. and they weren't able to have safe buildings and stuff. Like I think um, the kind of catalyst for it was that um, the like bathroom and toilet blocks at one of the primary schools needed to be fixed. And mm. like, that's a, that's a health issue. Yeah, totally. They were like, our parish can't fund this because our parish is made up of working class Catholics. We can't get like, this is not going to work out for us without um, external mm. intervention. And so, but the government had been, like that wasn't really a thing, funding public, funding Catholic schools. Um, and so what what they did, we should do a whole thing on the- Yeah, we totally um, should. The Catholic school strike, it's great. So basically what they did was they were like, well, if our school is not safe for us to be at, our Catholic school, we will go to the public school because mm. the public schools are supposed to take everyone. And then suddenly there's like an extra, however many hundred people showing up at public school yeah. the next day and everyone's like, well, we can't handle this. Like our system yeah. actually cannot handle this without Catholic schools. And so then they were like, I guess we better fund them. But that became a real issue, mm. um, be not an issue, like that became a real turning point for Catholics yeah. because Menzies and the Liberal Party were open to funding Catholic schools. And they were like, great, this party is going to take care of our Catholic school kids and is going to fund their education and help us out. Whereas the Labour Party had been staunchly against that because they had, at the time and still do have a really big emphasis on free public good education. And so they're like, if you want your kid to go to a school that's different from that, then you can do that. You're totally open to, but we're not going to back that because we're going to be providing education for hmm. everyone else. Yeah. It's actually really interesting. We've um, uh, a friend of the brothers who uh, was a, a Christian mm -hmm. brother who used to be at, at, at Eddie's in Canberra was actually mm -hmm. involved with the strike. He lives in Brisbane oh, wow. now, but I remember he I remember him coming for dinner once and telling us what it was like, you mm -hmm. know. Um, yeah, so it's kind yeah. of really here all these and, and you'd know this from from being a Catholic in and around yeah. Canberra Goldwyn Stasis. You hear stories about it that's kind of like the on the ground experience. It's like yeah. Canberra Goldwyn's <laughs> own little slice of history. Like it's Yeah, definitely. And it and it, and it I'm works like, because uh, that's my diocese. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and it's it is important because and it's it's something that, you know, they probably rightfully claim a bit of pride around because mm. it did. It completely shifted um you know, shifted kind of how politics kind of happened in Australia. Yeah. And so you, what you see then is sort of from, you've got the split in the 50s where the AOP is kind of the Catholic party, then, you know, the 64 um, Goldwood School strike. And then by 1972, Whitlam was coming into power um, on a really in a really progressive sort of agenda and mandate, Yeah. Um, which some Catholics weren't super duper big fans of. Yeah. And that's when that and that kind of really is what kind of ushered in the new non-sectarian kind yeah. of politics that we kind of have today. And that that election mm. and everything sort of from that kind of really shaped the forces, the Labor Party as the Progressive Party and the and the Liberal yeah. Party as the some people would would say the the reactionary party. I wouldn't say that, but some mm -hmm. people would see them as sort of the conservative is probably a better word, as a much a fairer yeah. word, the conservative party. Um, yep. Often, really, in in, in response to um, the depth of reform that that Whitlam sort of put into place, and so, yeah. um, and that's where it's you know from Menzies saying that he wants the Liberal Party to be this progressive party, um, mm -hmm. and that you still have progressive elements in the Liberal Party, of course, right? Yep. But um, 
And so that's kind of thing in, in just in that short period of time. And that's what it kind of shows where the school strikers actually probably has quite a, quite a significant place in the history of political mm. parties in Australia, um, which I actually hadn't really thought about before, probably just now. Yeah. But, um, yeah. <laughs> it actually, yeah, it really um, changed the way that even stuff like school funding and that kind of thing worked, which Catholic schools are a major part of what the Catholic church does in Australia. Yeah. It's it's our biggest thing, really. And so that funding and the relationship between the government and Catholic schools um, defines a lot of the way that um, mm. Catholics relate to politics in Australia. If we okay. think on kind of an everyday level, people who send their kids to Catholic schools who would be kind of nominally Catholic, mm. um, they still want their kids to have public school funding. Not public school funding. Like they still want yeah. public funding for their yeah, kids course. to be able to go to school. Um, so even just yeah. kind of in name, and I think that's the way true. that they interact matters. And, I, and that's and that's probably why it's probably a bit disappointing seeing you know in the lead up to the last election, the education minister, you know, mm. likening Catholic schools to Judas, putting their hands in the in the coin purse, for example. Yeah. Um, when they're sort of saying, "Hey, look, you know, we need more funding." Um, yeah. And and it's I mean it's ironic at the same time because it's a, a Liberal yeah. Party minister saying it yes <laughs> um anyway i could go on i won't but um we but, can do know, a whole thing on that we'll do a we'll do one whole episode <laughs> on that that newspaper article no um yeah <laughs> but you know and the whole point of, of like you know well um that it's kind of ironic that it, again it's still kind of that it, this this issue that often comes up but but again seeing yeah. how the catholic schools australia um, and it, and in each of the different states as well, how they really put their foot down and said, well, if you guys are going to be rude to us and not recognise that yeah. the service that Catholic schools provide um, yeah. in Australia, we're going to tell everyone to vote for the other guys. Um, yeah. We usually don't put our our, 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 our two, two bobs in, but we're going, to, mm. we're going to put our two bobs in here because it's really important. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I think is, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. And I think moving on from that, I know that for me it's really important that we know um, our history and the history of Catholics in party politics in Australia because it really grounds us and it shows us the power of the Catholic vote and it also shows us the the diversity of the Catholic vote and how um, when that is spread across different parties and across different areas and, you know, progressive and conservative or in, you know, life issues and in um, other kind of issues that we've been yeah. talking about like you know homelessness refugees that kind of stuff how when we stand up for all of those different things actually that's our greatest strength and we're not supposed to be kind of pigeonholed into different areas of politics and instead we have strength when we are spread and when we're advancing the gospel everywhere all the time in all these different areas because that's how people's lives get better and that's what we want is for people to be living better lives and to be knowing god yeah, I think that's great. I think that's uh, spot on. So, you know, political parties can be really scary and they can be very frustrating mm-hmm. and people in them can often all just speak political speak a lot of the time in the same yes, voice definitely. with the same intonations, which can drive you insane. But at the same time, <laughs> you know, they're kind of important and that's where God's calling you to be. Um, go for it, you know, and, and really get in there and really help to transform and do what you can to really transform the the culture and to transform these institutions to be the most Christ-like things that they can be. Um, yeah. So parties are not too bad. Yeah. They can be a good time. 
yeah. and good things can come of them. Definitely. I mean, it's how our world works and our world is pretty good most of the time. So most of the time, we can just keep fighting the good fight, channeling yeah. it, running the race. What are all those other St. Paul things that he says? Yeah. Get it done. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's probably enough for today, I reckon. Yeah, I reckon. They probably heard Thanks enough Thanks for from listening, us. everybody. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. It's been great as always. Um, this is probably going to be, this is the, the end of kind of our first kind of season. So mm-hmm. um, stay tuned for some more sort of content. And But yep. especially let us know what you've liked. What have you liked? What maybe haven't you liked? Don't yep. hurt our feelings too much. But um, <laughs> Try not to yeah. roast us, but give us feedback because we want it to be good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. T- tell us what you've, what you've loved and what you'd like. And if there's anything you'd like us to cover or, or anything like that, please just let us know. And, uh, and yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks heaps. We'll see you soon. Yeah, see you on the flip side. Bye. Political parties.